0: You are listening to Dirtwork with Adam Morrissey. Hello and welcome to Dirtwork. This is your host, Adam Morrissey. Uh, Today we had an exciting guest, Austin Klinkscales from Ladera Properties, an investment firm and operating company with a specialty in retail real estate based in Dallas. Uh, Austin, how's it going today?
1: Going great. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, Austin, I'm really excited to dig into how COVID-19 has impacted retail real estate. But before we get in too far, would you mind giving a little bit of background to our listeners about uh, your retail experience and what Ladera is setting out to do?
1: Uh, Sure, absolutely. Um, The majority of my experience uh, at the beginning of my career was actually on the tenant side. I worked corporately for Radio Shack as a real estate manager overseeing operations, uh, real estate, existing stores, relocations, new stores. Um, and I also worked with smoothie King. Um, I was a direct or a real estate manager and we provided support with franchisees to help them negotiate their leases and perform site selection. Um, and then I jumped over to the development and ownership side of the business and worked with a local boutique developer in Dallas. Um, We were focused on actually a power center in North Fort Worth by the Texas Motor Speedway um, next to Bucky's, in front of its hangar outlet facility. Uh, So I I led the development on that project for the time that I was with my previous company uh, and then rolled into Ladera Properties back at the beginning of 2019, uh, really with the focus on retail pad development and investment opportunities, primarily in the state of Texas and Oklahoma. Um, and that's what we're focused on right now.
0: So yeah, that, that's awesome. Yeah, certainly a diverse set of experience. Uh, it sounds operationally and on the investment development side. So obviously, COVID-19 has been quite the shake up. Um, before we dig into how it's impacted various segments of retail real estate, is as have you seen any silver linings uh, from COVID-19? Or is there anything you're excited about uh, for the future, uh,
1: yes, we have, and I think really, first of all, COVID nineteen clearly has been just extremely unfortunate for people across the country, um, and as it relates to retail, you know, it's been devastating um, to a lot of small small franchise operators that really invest their life savings in four hundred one ks into these small businesses, and then being told that they are unable to operate. Uh, due to shelter-in-place and government restrictions. Um, so, I mean, my heart goes out to all those folks, and, and it's really, really sad to see. Um, having said that, you know, the silver lining in this entire process from what we've seen is really, the, the market fundamentals prior to COVID, I think we can all agree were very, very stable and strong. Um, so I believe that this is a disruption, um, and eventually it will it will prevail and we will prevail. So disruption creates opportunity. And what I mean by that is really in the retail platform, a lot of folks, investors, tenants, uh, everyone across the board sort of waiting for the consumer response uh, once stores are reopened. Uh, So currently things are pretty stagnant. And a lot of folks that own a lot of property are dealing with existing tenants in their shopping centers, trying to help them with with deferred rents and helping them stay open and extending concessions, et cetera. And we do not own currently any properties. So this has created an opportunity for us um, because there's lower competition really to get control of these pad development opportunities. And we believe that timing is everything. Um, So we've been fortunate to get control of some prime locations and pad opportunities in front of anchored Target shopping centers, Walmart shopping centers, and we're really thinking about 2021 in a more positive light and what we're going to do to take advantage of the rising trend in 2021 because we believe that this will all be resolved by the time that we are delivering our new developments um, so that's really the silver lining, in, in our opinion, is the opportunity that is going to be created for a company of our size, since there's going to be less competition uh, going after new development opportunities currently, since they're focused on the asset management, asset management of their existing shopping centers.
0: Yeah. So with these new opportunities, you're pursuing, you know, dynamics in retail have changed, and we'll get into that more in, later in the conversation, but you what things are you looking at? What what are your value drivers that make a prime site uh, at this point?
1: Well, right now, uh, first and foremost, I think that if you're in front of a, a grocery anchored center or, you know, a Walmart anchored center, as everyone knows, Walmart's doing very, very well right now. Um, anything that's driving a significant amount of traffic to that area um, is always a benefit. And, you know, we'd like to be as close to that anchor as possible uh, and have the accessibility that that retailers that are national retailers would require such as the Starbucks of the world the Chipotles of the world uh, you know the sites that they would approve are the only sites that we're interested in going after um, so we, we are we're, we do not go and put mid-block you know unanchored pads under contract
0: um, we, we
1: go in front
0: of anchored shopping centers only. Yeah, I've heard it described as, in this period of time, survival of the biggest. Um, so look forward to hearing your opinion on that. But to, to go back to an earlier point you made about you know retail uh, being a diff- difficult segment, I was listening to Peter Lindman, The Economist, talk. You know, it's, it's such a difficult segment because it's tough to control consumer behavior, and even before COVID-19, I'd say for the last 20 or 30 years, it seems like retail has been a changing segment You know, with the dot-com boom, 08, 09, And it's like every other day you read an article that says retail is dead. In fact, in 2017, Forbes had an article called Retail is Dead. And then in 2018, it says it's not dead. It's just boring. Um, so, so what is your take on this idea that retail is dead?
1: Well, it definitely has been the sector that's been hit the hardest with all these stay at home orders and forced store closures and things of that nature. I definitely do not think that retail is dead. I think that it is changing. Um, you know, COVID will have a very lasting shift on how people act and the consumer behavior surrounding how they obtain their products that they need. Uh, and ultimately, they're going to return to brick and mortar stores as long as they feel safe and the appropriate measures of feeling safe are put in place. So from that perspective, you know, you're know you going to see a lot more people. I don't think the face masks are going away for a very long time. I think the consumers are going to want to make sure that they visualize and they see that it's a safe environment, whether they're going to get a haircut at Great Clips or going to get a coffee at Starbucks. Um, and you know, the appropriate social distancing measures uh, we'll leave that up to the CDC to tell us what we should and shouldn't be doing, but um, I think that you're going to see a lot of these um, retailers in general. They're going to start investing more in technology um, in order to combat the, you know, the the no contact payments, uh, the digital menus, the app based ordering. You know, for example, um, you're going to start going into restaurants. I anticipate. In the next three months, and there may be an app you can download on your cell phone, rather than you know picking up a menu, uh, in order to fight the you know the ability to transmit this virus or uh, you know combat all of those items. Uh, also, you know I think that from a restaurant perspective, I was actually having dinner at a Mexican restaurant this weekend uh, called Macero in Dallas, and they had essentially shower curtains segmenting each table um, because it was more of an open floor plan so what I'm getting at there is that's just a temporary fix but what you're gonna start seeing is operators and businesses are gonna start having to lay out their spaces in a very mindful manner Um, probably gonna be a lot more segmentation not a lot of open-air community shared areas Uh, so it'll be really interesting how How people how this kind of progresses over the next, I would say, you know, eight to twelve months, but uh, certainly not dead. Um, You know, we definitely believe that people will continue to buy coffee and continue to get their hair cut. You know, that is not going away, and and we certainly believe that it'll come back. and And to expand on that a little bit more, uh, actually, in China, I was listening to. Uh, podcast. This is probably about a month ago, but uh, the folks at CBRE in China were they were they referred to a term re- "revenge spending," um, and what they're getting at there is people had been in quarantine and shelter in place for so long. Once those restrictions were lifted, they went directly to the store and started spending a ton of money, and a lot of folks were up and um, up more than they were the year before. In sales, so I, I think we can probably expect that to happen um, as restrictions are kind of phased and, and we kind of phase into this twenty five percent to fifty percent operating capacities in the space sure
0: yeah we well, you know we we've talked about so far warehouse stores, power centers, restaurants you know I saw um a Wall Street journal stat that retail spending was down um sixteen and a half percent in April. What what's tough for me to wrap my head around is, you know, retail is so broad. So how do you break down the different segments of retail into um, segments that can be analyzed on a standalone basis? Um, you know, I think about, you know, malls being different than power centers. But how do you define the different segments of retail? And um, I guess then we can dig into how each of them might be affected by this.
1: Sure. You know, overall, I think that the segments of retail, like you said, malls, um, then you have big box power centers, uh, you know, being Ross, Marshalls, TJ, Petco, Ulta, Walmart, et cetera. Um, And then you would fall closer in the neighborhood retail, strip centers, uh, tom thumb anchored shopping centers, and areas that have more residential density, not off of major highways where you would typically see a mall or a power center. Um, and then restaurants and, you know, that goes from the Chili's full service sit down guys to the drive through McDonald's guys, uh, to the, you know, uh, just the fast casual, whether it be Chipotle, Qdoba, walk-in, go through a line type concept. Uh, uh, those would be the four main categories that kind of we segment the, the, the retail platform by.
0: Yeah. And if we could just dig into each of those a little bit deeper, that'd be great, you know, starting with malls uh, New York Times said very few are likely to survive very few stores you know you, you hear either bankruptcies for or rumors for JCPenney Macy's J Crew Neiman Marcus uh, Nordstrom's closing 16 stores what's going to happen to the mall and, and these spaces is it going to be prime for adaptive reuse or will you know new operators come in and take those spaces? What, what do you see uh, from your network and uh, experience?
1: So r- really, I think it's going to be adaptive reuse. It, it's kind of funny how the timing all worked out, to be honest on this, because if you remember, a lot of the capital markets were, were kind of forcing this idea of Internet immune retail down our throats. Uh, you know, everyone wanted to go lease to a movie theater and have the you know, really, the the experience was what it was all behind, and that wasn't. But you know, right before COVID-19, people were selling 24-hour fitnesses or you know AMC movie theaters or things of that nature, um, and that was really kind of the sexy appeal. And now that has all kind of been shot with the COVID. Um, so I think what you're going to start seeing is the J.C. Penneys, the Macy's, and those folks um, as they go dark. And I believe that they will, unless something drastically changes. You're going to definitely see the malls be repurposed into more of uh, really outward facing. um, You know, TJ Maxx, for example, will begin backfilling Sears spaces. Um, And I, I, I believe that TJ Maxx companies will come out of this stronger than ever, given the fact they're a discount retailer. And, you know, they can backfill spaces at low costs in the single digit uh, rent numbers um, in areas that are, you know, typically the malls are, you know, they've been around for so long, the the population has grown around them. So it's almost considered, you know, A to A plus real estate at this point. But I, I definitely see malls being repurposed into, you know, front facing retail rather than walk into this mall. Um, And also to expand on that, the the lowest rates of rental recoveries right now with COVID are in malls. Uh, You know, these guys aren't paying rent. Um, You know, it's a confined environment. And for that reason, you know, there's more guidelines set in place. So I think the mall outlook will definitely be adaptive and there's going to be redevelopment opportunities in the future.
0: Yeah. Do you, I've read a couple articles, you know, suggesting potential uses of Industrial, maybe for last mile infill and or medical office. Have you seen any of that uh, in your shopping mall space? Uh, I have not
1: yet, but I, I definitely can uh, – I, I think that's going to happen. I mean, a lot of these folks you – know, the Macy's – I'm just going to use Macy's because I mentioned them earlier, but you mentioned last mile delivery and kind of the retail store not exactly acting as a, a showroom now, but maybe these folks are – transforming their stores and and their floor plans into essentially fulfillment centers is what they're doing. Um, I think you will see that happen. I think that that is definitely a reality. Um, I think that people are going to have to find new ways to become innovative, to compete with the Amazons of the world. Um, So yes, I, I have read articles about fulfillment centers. I haven't really heard as much about the medical kind of transformation And things of that nature, but uh, it could be a possibility. I I, I would tell you that you're going to see more uh, big box retail stores that are in malls like your Macy's of the world really start shifting their space to act more of a fulfillment center for online orders and e-commerce.
0: Sure. Uh, You know, we mentioned Amazon being, you know, the elephant in the room in retail. Um, We talk a little bit about power centers and you know this concept of survival of the biggest with Walmart Tar- Target Costco anchored centers and how those have performed during the pandemic and how they're primed to perform in the future
1: yeah and you know i think that th- those concepts are primed to perform very well in the future uh, and a lot of them are starting for example Walmart over the past 3 years Um, they have been investing in their e-commerce platform. You'll notice, I don't know if you've been to one or not, but they're starting to have online pickup drive-through areas uh, to where they're really, for their existing stores, they are adding on drive-throughs and redoing their site plans to fulfill online orders, whether it be grocery um, or just general merchandise in their stores. But, you know, I think that the warehouse stores and the big box anchored centers, um, it's it's definitely people are going to redo their spaces. Walmart and Costco and Sam's and those folks, they'll stay the same size and still try and um, you know sell the big bulk ticket, you know, a, a lot of products at one time. But when you get down to Ross and people of that nature, I mean, just over the past year, Ross's footprint of thirty thousand feet went down to twenty-five thousand feet, and now it's twenty-two thousand feet. So everyone is trying to adapt and compete with Amazon and try and make their businesses the most prof- profitable they can be. And um, you know, another thing that they're doing is you're going to start to see a, a, a huge increase in, fr- in private label. You know, if you're in Target, the private label. Uh, Walmart, um, you know, you're going to start seeing a lot more private label products just because they're more profitable um, for the retailers. So I think you'll see that as well. Um, But another thing, um, landlords, (laughs) Ross is trying to essentially redo their rent structures. Um, So basically, you know, There's a number of retailers like Ross and Marshalls they are already asking landlords right now to waive rent, um, in exchange for basically revenue sharing. So percentage rent deals. And I believe they're asking for 2% of sales, um, to make sure that they're not paying too much rent and they can stay in business. So there's been a lot of negotiating with the warehouse, big power center space, um, And it's been very interesting, and it's actually given landlords a little bit of leverage. Uh, When the tenant comes and asks the landlord for rent relief, uh, it puts the landlord in a position to ask the tenant to lift certain restrictions in order to give landlords more flexibility to lease space in the shopping center, um, which has also been interesting um, over the past
0: when you say uh, lift certain restrictions to lease space, are you just referring to, you know, maybe certain leases might have a restriction that says, you know, you can't have another similar use um, in the in the center? That's right, you can't
1: have another similar use. But a lot of these, a lot of these restrictions that the big the big national tenants have, they don't even apply to their business. It may be simply because they don't want someone to lease space next to them because they use too much parking. So, as as an example, you know you can't lease a you're unable to lease a restaurant next to the Ross, or you can't lease a gym next to the Ross. Um, and landlords will ask for that restriction to be lifted, and or a lot of these power centers or anchored you know anchored shopping centers with call it a grocery store they'll have protected parking field areas where they don't want buildings to be built for line-of-sight visibility. They'd like the traffic going by to be able to have visibility directly into their store. Um, so that's another one where maybe there's a parking field that's larger than, than you think that it needs to be. And, you know, the anchor will lift uh, protected parking areas so that developers and owners have the ability to go do build the suits for your Chick-fil-A's of the world, your Raising Cane's of the world, etc.,
0: yeah, to turn the lens to a segment of retail that maybe has been hit harder, the strip center neighborhood retail concepts. You know, I, I saw a statistic that 25% of independent retailers um, in the United States maintain that they can't survive more than two months with no business. Um, you know, Although it seems that curbside pickup at retail stores are up in the municipalities that allow it, can you speak to more how this pandemic has impacted the neighborhood retail and the independent retail space?
1: Yes. Um, well, you had just mentioned, you know, uh, grab-and-go curbside service um, and uh, things of that nature. And I think that um, from a city perspective on new development, uh, I think right now politically cities, for example, Plano, Texas, it's not easy to get a drive-through special use permit. Uh, I think that given the times right now, uh, politically, they would be almost, you know, forced to at least consider extending drive-through space out of an effort, you know, for no contact and and with all the COVID-19 things going on right now. But um, you're going to start seeing site plans for new development and existing shopping centers. You're going to start seeing a lot more to-go parking spaces. You're going to start seeing a lot more drive through pickup windows, um, and really strip centers. You've probably seen Starbucks on a five-tenant shopping center with a drive through um, I think those well-located centers like that that have your wireless guy, your sandwich guy, and your dentist, and your salon, I still believe that those are going to be very, very strong performers moving forward. So long as they're not mid block and they're well located in areas that are growing in population. Um, You know, if you look at right now, um, we are working a few deals with Chipotle currently, and they are ramping up expansion of their Chipotle Lane, which is. Really, it's a, that's what they call it, the Chipotle Lane.
0: I haven't, I haven't heard that. That's nice.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's the Chipotle Lane. They, they love that, and they've dubbed it the Chipotle Lane, but they take 2,300 square feet of end-cap drive-through space, but there's no pull, you know, like you would go to McDonald's and order through the drive-through. You just order through your app and drive-through and pick it up. Um, so this goes back to the technology and retailers investing in that kind of technology to drive more sales. But um, we think that the retail shopping centers, as long as they're not overbuilt, I mean I'm talking as, if they're 12,000 square feet and, and under, um, we think that's still going to be a strong segment. and we definitely think that the haircut guys and, and the salon, you know the nail, the nail guys and people like that, uh, they're going to come back and, and start getting active once they're able to do so and, and and operate stores at the capacities that they see profitable and fit for them.
0: Sure. Yeah, I, mean, I think the smaller retail, independent retail, an overlooked aspect of it is that you know 40% of revenue in the retail space comes from smaller retailers, and, and therefore they're a massive hub for employment. So hopefully they can find the tools to stay innovative as well um, for job creation. Um, to turn the lens to one more segment of the retail space, restaurants, I, I saw a statistic that, uh, heard locally about 30% of restaurants might not return, but I saw one in Washington DC that they expect a similar 30 to 40%, um, which I thought was startling cause, uh, not sure if you've ever been to DC, but that's a, a, a restaurant town. Um, so I was curious on your take on, um, restaurant space going forward and we mentioned a little bit about health and how you see fast casual competing against uh maybe more sit-down dining
1: yeah and you know so from a full service sit-down dining standpoint your chilies and folks of the world um i i think that you know really liquidity is key the small guys you're you know your, your small local Mexican food operator that's in 8,500 square feet, um, you know, they're gonna be in trouble uh, just because, I mean, obviously, if the government tells them they can operate at 25%, well, I'm not so sure that's sustainable um, if they can produce enough revenue to, to make enough money to cover the expenses. Um, so that that's one thing. Um, I can tell you this, uh, I was speaking with a restaurant operator in Georgia, and uh, I was told by this restaurant operator who also has units in Texas, full service, full kitchen, much like a Chili's, that when he opened in Georgia at 25% capacity, his sales this this past month were more than his sales the year before at 25% capacity. Because people were wanting to get out of the house. They were eager to go have that experience and eat. And, you know, for whatever reason, maybe he was doing a good job with cleanliness and taking the appropriate steps for safety. But his sales were up at 25%. So, you know, that is very, uh, <laughs> that's very encouraging. And I think that what you're going to see, there is gonna, there are going to be opportunities to buy Well located freestanding restaurants over the next six months. Um, Obviously, those acquisitions are going to have to be made with cash. Um, So, you know, if you have the ability to, and we are trying to identify opportunities like this right now, but um, there's going to be a lot of opportunity, I think, over the next six months to purchase vacant freestanding, you know, up to two acre pad sites and convert those. Um, either in, either scrape and redevelop into a few different pads like your water burgers and Wendy's of the world. or you know hopefully if the timing works out right, you might you may be able to lease the existing structure um, for a higher rent number than they were paying before. just really it just depends on the timing of when this is all going to work itself out but um, you know, Right now, it's just the timing's not good. They're not really performing right now. But when they start reopening, you're going to see the sales if they can, if they can stay afloat for the next three months. I think that, you know, you're going to see sales skyrocket for those kind of restaurants.
0: Sure. Um, You know, we talked a lot about you know how this impacts consumers and operators. We spoke a little bit about landlords. Can you speak more to how this has impacted landlords? from a cash flow perspective, and also, you know, maybe from a financing perspective. Sure.
1: Um, well, right now, you know, lenders for the most part have been working with landlords uh, in terms of, you know, whether that be, you know, deferring payments and and carry on deals out of out of consideration for what's going on, um, and or and or at least cutting it to interest only. Um, definitely seen lenders working with landlords in that regard. I think from a cash flow perspective, you know, if landlords are receiving this benefit from the l- from lenders which like I said many are, then landlords are able to get creative and flexible with their tenants and pass that benefit down to the tenant, which creates more goodwill for them hopefully to be able to stay long term. So from a cash flow perspective, all this is doing is it's probably going to have a more lasting effect to, the, to landlords will have to hold their investments longer to achieve the returns that they underwrote originally. Um, you know, so if it was originally a five-year hold, then you know, they're losing that revenue from a cash flow perspective since they're only recovering, call it 50% of rents. Um, they're going to have to hold it for two or three more years before they decide that they want to sell. Um, you know. And then from a lending perspective, it really depends on what kind of a deal you're buying and, and the quality of the tenants in the space. Um, it's hard to kind of say, but I can tell you that um, from at least what I've been talking to lenders on right now for new acquisition existing opportunities... The the loan to values are, are are going down. I mean, they're going closer to seventy percent when you know you may have been able to buy something between seventy five and eighty percent
0: a year ago. Um, you know, when we talked about this idea of when change comes, opportunity. Uh, what will separate the winners from the losers? We've talked about a, a couple things. You know, health, technology, liquidity. Anything else come to mind for you?
1: You know. I, I really think that you know again health technology liquidity, as we've already discussed. But more than that, I, I really do think that the number one takeaway is going to be, you know, who takes the appropriate safety measures to make the consumer feel more comfortable to visit a physical establishment. Who is going over and above and and beyond to do that because, you know, that's that is really everything. I mean. The, whether it be a landlord or a retailer, um, communication to the marketplace is going to be key. Letting people know that they're open and that it's a clean environment is going to be absolutely key. Um, so I think you know your winners and losers in retail are, are, are definitely going to be um, outside of liquidity, uh, kind of what we had already kind of touched on as far as the appropriate safety measures. Um, and then just getting really innovative and trying to find out how we can push more product out the door or what sort of incentives we can, we can add and provide to, to drive the top line sales. Um, and another thing, this is a little bit off the topic, but I just, it just came to my mind. But, um, as restaurants are continuing to be operating at lower occupancy levels, uh, you know, 50%, 25% and whatnot, you're going to start seeing prices go up, um, obviously if they, the ticket prices are going to have to rise and that cost is going to be passed on to the consumer if they can't operate at a hundred percent. So, you know, from, from a freestanding, you know, sit down Chili's restaurant, you're going to see those costs go up, um, unfortunately. And then, you know, really at the end of the day, this goes back to, then, then the supply chain, obviously with COVID and being able to service stores um, You know There's going to be a lot more a lot less supply and a lot more demand therefore prices will continue to go up until we can get back to a hundred percent
0: Yeah, you know when we talk about The winners, you know some of these cards are already being dealt now Have you seen anybody in the marketplace that is already doing a good job? uh, communicating with their customers and making them feel comfortable at returning
1: I would tell you that the most impressive tenant right now, um, just based on their investment in technology, the marketing that they're doing to inform the guest, you know that that they are able to come and, and drive through or come and we'll bring the food out to you. Yeah, Chipotle has done a phenomenal job in this. Um, I don't know if you saw, but you know, right when COVID hit in early March, late February, their stock was trading around. I want to say off the top of my head, it was somewhere around 500 in the 500 range. Um, and over the past two months, the stock is at an all-time high at about 950 dollars per share. Um, they are doing a phenomenal job. Um, you know, they're marketing to I guess what would be the more health-conscious customer. They've got keto bowls. Um, they have gluten-free bowls, paleo bowls. They've just done a great job in, in adapting their menu. Um, to what I would call a shift in the health conscious, you know, everyone's trying to be healthy and health conscious, especially now during the quarantine. And then, you know, switching their entire strategy to do app ordered drive-through space is I think just very, very smart and they're going to be very well positioned. They already are, but they're going to continue to gain market share in what I would call a pretty niche niche market. Um, But I've been very, very, um, I've been very impressed with Chipotle they're, they're going to be a huge winner after this
0: sure yeah I mean all interesting topics and we've touched on so many things for listeners interested in learning more you know, do you have any publications that you subscribe to and recommend
1: so there is a um, th- there's a CBRE daily digest that basically has weekly market updates and it talks about you know Notes globally, you know, for, produced by CBRE's um, data department. Uh, I get, I, I review those uh, articles and it goes over things all over the entire world, you know, and who's opening up businesses in terms of retail this week. I mean, France and Belgium, for example, started reopening um, this week today. Um, and it just kind of goes through who's opening, how things are going, what people, what what the outlook is, etc. Um, and, you know, it, I actually read in one of these articles, and this is very interesting, and, and it was a great perspective that I'd like to share. Um, you know, the hotel industry, the hospitality industry, traveling in general, clearly are really in a bad place right now. Um, and a lot of folks that have higher incomes that were, you know, flying around, going to their vacation homes, doing X, Y, and Z, or whatever it may be, going on these expensive trips to Europe, etc., you know, they're going to have a lot more disposable income because they're not going to be doing that for a while. So I think that, you know, in one of these articles, it was saying how a lot of this spending is going to be on physical product instead of going to Europe. So a lot of people, the, the luxury brands, your Hermes, your Louis Vuitton, your uh, Highland Park Village-type brand users, um, at least in China, they did very well, and, and CBRE projects that they're going to do very well as, um, in, in, you know, in the United States, too. So I thought that was really,
0: really interesting. And I, I, I agree with that. Very good. No loss. And I'll have to dig in more to those CBRE reports, but appreciate you coming on the show and uh, educating us about your viewpoint on what's going on in the retail marketplace. Enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks, Adam. I really appreciate you guys having me and um, y'all be safe. Yeah, I, I hope uh, maybe in 2021, we can have you back on to talk about uh, the exciting new developments you capitalized on.
1: Absolutely. I'd love to do it. All
0: right. Cheers, Austin. Talk soon.
1: All right, thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Dirt Work with Adam Morrissey. We'll have a new episode out next month. If you have any story suggestions or want more info on the show or myself, hit me up on LinkedIn.